Welcome to another episode of the Spiritual Awakening Show. I'm your host, Brent Spirit, and this is another Kundalini Awakening Q&A compilation. In today's compilation, we'll be covering topics like Kundalini Awakening and Fasting, Loneliness and Isolation, Managing an Active Mind, and some comments on Shaktipat. You can join us for the next Kundalini Q&A meeting on Zoom. You can visit brentspirit.com for more info. At the moment, it's free to join. If you're looking for more personal support, you can find out about meeting with me in private in a one-on-one session on Zoom. You can visit brentspirit.com sessions. Don't forget to leave a rating for the show and to hit follow if you haven't already. You can also find me on YouTube. Thanks a lot for your support. Enjoy the episode. In this segment, we'll be talking about Kundalini Awakening, loneliness, and isolation. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing the, those experiences. Yes, relationships can be a great context for growth, to put it mildly. Right? <laughs> Even a brief encounter can, can have a lot of content that we can process, and it can bring up a lot of things. Um, and then we can, of course, compare relationships and, and see things from new, new angles and whatnot. But yes, as we're going through this process, um, it can be quite lonely when people in your life, partners, friends, family, don't understand, aren't experiencing this with you. Um, and uh, one thing that I can say is if we look at everybody here, even though we are going through this process, if we were to relate on a more deeper level, I, I guarantee that there would be a lot of differing experiences, opinions, attitudes, approaches. If somebody was even a little bit further ahead of you, you may feel anxious, insecure, threatened, jealous. Somebody's a little bit even behind, even if they're going through Kundalini Awakening and they're, you know, maybe say like, you know, they're, they're, they've written books about it and stuff. You would, they're a little further behind than you, quote unquote behind, you know what I mean? You may get frustrated with them too. And so the idea of like, if, if everyone would just have a Kundalini Awakening with me and we'd all be good and understand each other, I think that alone is, uh, is a bit of a romanticized idea. Um, because across the community, there's many differing perspectives and they're all valid. Um, I think, so what I'm trying to say is in some respects, we must come to accept that your journey is your journey. People you encounter are part of it and they don't have to experience things in the same way that you do. And, uh, part of the work for us is to, um, meet others in a common ground. So maybe it's just where, what, what commonality do we have? And, and we meet there and we enjoy and relate from that place. And that can bring a lot of relief when we are finding that um, relationships are strained because others can't really um, see us where we're at. I don't think anybody can really see us where we're at. Um, and, and that's maybe harsh and, and you know un unfortunate to hear. But um, I think if we come to accept that, we can we can really begin to relate in a much deeper way. So So thank you. Thank you for sharing that there. In this segment, we'll be discussing Kundalini Awakening and how to manage an active mind. Yeah, so there are periods where we may have a lot of amplified thinking patterns, anxiety, uh, maybe some like, uh, you know, neurotic thinking, overthinking, this sort of thing, as the energy moves up into the head. It can also bring about insomnia. It can bring about the inability to really just be calm, steady, focused on one thing. And um, 
eventually, yes, I would say that uh, the aim is that this phase does pass and we do come to a point where our our mind becomes a tool that we use when necessary rather than this nonstop uh, sort of engine that's running unnecessarily. It's idling at times. So we do come to a point for the most part where our mind does generally become quite quiet, quite quite present, quite focused. We can use it when necessary to think and, and mull over a problem. And then when it's resolved or we're not needing to think so much, we can just return back into the present moment and kind of, you know, turn that engine off. And so that point does come. Um, you can look forward to that. You can also look forward to any little moments where you do experience that. So often it's not that the mind is running 24 seven. There may be brief windows, a few seconds, a few minutes where you find that you ate an entire meal and there was no thinking really happening. Pay attention to those periods as well. And that can give you some hope. Often we want to think, like I was saying in the previous uh, answer, you know, black and white. It's either the mind is running 24-7 or not at all. There are windows where things get quiet. So pay attention to those windows as well. Um, and you may also notice that certain things will trigger a more active mind. If you say, for example, fast, this may start causing a lot of activity to happen. And you could just anticipate these things. So you may know, okay, I'm, I'm going to go for a whole day without eating. I can anticipate a little bit of uh, difficulty going to sleep, a little bit of a racing mind. And it's not a problem. It's not a problem. So uh, these are some other ways that you can kind of, um, um, you know, work with the system uh, in a conscious way and use things like diet, exercise, et cetera, to also sort of uh, manage the uh, thinking patterns and whatnot. But in an overarching way, my invitation is to to say, look, it's okay to overthink. It's okay. It's uncomfortable, but we we can we can snap out of those patterns by first being okay with it. It's okay. It's not that you're a bad spiritual person or something if you're thinking a lot. It's not a problem at all. And from that place, then paradoxically, the mind says, okay, well, maybe I don't have to think so much. The mind is like a little child. It just wants a little bit of attention and to be accepted and validated. And when it's given that, then it can kind of, you know, relax. It doesn't need to be so loud. So these are some ideas that that uh, you know you can think about. I think you were also speaking about um, you know the energy in the head. Does it balance out? Um, yeah. I would say that there comes a point where the nervous system becomes acclimated to the energy flow, and it's quite seamless and integrated, and it's not like a, a big deal. In the beginning, it's a very big deal. The nervous system has never experienced such a huge influx of energy, uh, so it can be quite intense. But eventually, it appears to have calmed down, but in actuality, we could look at it that it didn't calm down. You just got used to it. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Acclimatized. Um, right. It acclimatized. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so at times you may find that uh, depending on what you're doing, certain areas may become activated. Uh, um, so like for me right now, my head is quite activated. It's, it's the center of intuition and I'm feeling, you know, some some tingling and whatnot, but it's not a problem for me because I know it's serving a purpose. There's energy, you know, serving a purpose up here for me to do this work. Mm -hmm. So we can keep that in mind as well. Great. Yeah, thanks. Oh, are, are you not drinking any caffeine as well now? Are you just completely teetotal? Uh, I, I drink caffeine maybe once or twice a week. Um, and I prepare myself. For me, it's like I'm going on a psychedelic trip. I'm like, okay, uh, what's the time? What have I got to do? Okay. I'm going to make sure that I do that work uh, and, and not just mull around, like sitting around, allowing my mind to ramble about, you know, anxious things. So I, I approach it in a conscious way. 
Um, and uh, it's a useful tool. One thing you can think about is, you know, monks would would drink tea to to keep them awake during long meditation sittings. And uh, it's a useful tool. It's not like at the end of the world, but it does come with a downside, which it can disrupt the mind's activity a little bit. In this segment, we'll be discussing Kundalini Awakening and Shaktipat. Okay, so fellas asking about uh, a spontaneous Kundalini Awakening that happens, of course, in the many different ways that we know through meditation, through yoga, through breath work, psychedelics, quote unquote, spontaneously, some people just have this rising experience. There are also some uh, astute travelers of the path that have the skill and ability to offer what's called Shakti Pat, which is the transmission of Shakti, which is the uh, ability to uh, to stimulate or activate or awaken the Kundalini in an individual. And so these are the the images you may see of a guru, you know, touching somebody on the forehead and they're going into a sort of seizure and the Kundalini is awakening or or they're you know zapping them with their eyes. That's the Shakti Pat type experience. Um, Shakti Pat in general is for the most part, in, in a general way, it's it's a short-lived and temporary experience that can can give people a little bit of a boost, a little bit of a a, 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 a jolt, but still the work has to continue. It's not that the Shakti Pod just finishes them off and it's done. Um, it can be a, a, a brief thing that gives a person a little bit of a sense of what this is all about. It can work to break through any uh, you know doubts about this process. I mean, when somebody's touching you on the forehead, and and even though you're doubting it, it's and then you start you know going into a full blown awakening experience that can help you to break through some doubts about this process being you know it's it's real, it's valid. Being in a room and other people are having that experience, you can say, okay, I'm not the only one. I'm not crazy. I'm not making this up. That can help, but um, it's not something that's like this like magic pill or cheat code it's just a tool that we can use uh now and then um when appropriate and necessary but it's not something that we should be too fixated on or attached to uh often people go multiple times for shaktipod and that tells you all that you need to know why why are they going multiple times because it's it's not the uh the the only uh Thing that's going to help you. You have to still go through the journey, do the, all the same work that all of us are doing here anyway. The same work applies. So this is something you can keep in mind. Um, Shaktipat, uh, yes, it's a real thing, but um, if your Kundalini is awakened, you just have to work with it uh, in, in, with the, within the context of your awakening and um, no need to actively seek out Shaktipat. If you're called to it, you're drawn to it, by all means, explore just remember not to become too attached and not to uh, give up your discernment when working with different teachers in a very intimate way like that. In this segment, we'll be discussing Kundalini awakening and fasting. I want to ask about fasting. I'm just wondering, you know, I'm a little hesitant because I'm afraid that maybe it'll then, you know, much more uh, Kundalini will rise. And uh, yeah, that's my question. Okay, great, great. So so fasting, like anything else, is a tool that we must use with with consciousness, with mindfulness. So it's not something that we want to just do, uh, um, you know, without really feeling it out, feeling if it's an appropriate time and preparing as well. So we prepare by acknowledging, okay, I'm, for this next four days, 
I may have a lot of energy rise. I may not be in a very stable, grounded uh, mental headspace. So it's not the best time for me to maybe, you know, you know, go for a job interview or something, right? Like we keep that in mind and we say, okay, I'll take space. And in my space, I'll allow myself to get a little bit far out and ungrounded and for this energy to work. And so it's a conscious decision. Whereas there's the accidental fast that some people do is they forget to eat and, you know, they forget to sleep on top of that. And now they're ungrounded and they have no consciousness about what they're experiencing. And that's when they're maxing out credit cards and saying all sorts of crazy stuff. And there, there's no awareness around it. So something to keep in mind, if it's done in a conscious, controlled way, it can be very effective. And we just have to trust and listen to the body as well. Don't necessarily have to commit to four days. By day one and a half, it can be, okay, I need to eat. And that's okay too. It doesn't have to be a failure. We listen to the, the body and the process. So I was just on retreat and uh, we only ate two meals, very light meals. And um, I, I couldn't sleep. There's too much energy moving. Slept maybe two hours. But I knew I'm in a retreat and I've taken a vow of silence. I'm not going to talk about some crazy stuff to anybody. I don't have my phone. I'm not going to call anybody and say, hey, I'm Jesus Christ or something. I'm going to just be quiet and go to my room, eat, eat what I can. And if I can't sleep, I'll lay there and just be present and go through what I'm going through. And that was a safe container that I created or that was afforded to me at the retreat, um, which allowed me to um, um, you know, experience the, the energetic uh, highs as a result of fasting, not sleeping a lot. And I also knew I have no responsibilities. I'm here to work. I don't, I'm here to meditate. I don't have to do any work. I don't have to do any emails. I don't have to do anything. So I can go off the rails a little bit here. Um, and then of course, when I came back, I ate some good protein. Today I was in the gym, heavy lifting, just to get my body back on the ground. So these are some things to keep in mind. Fasting is a very effective tool as long as it's done with, with consciousness and, and being gentle as well. We don't want to push too hard and go too extreme.